Amen. Are you kidding me? Wow. I mean, again, if that's true, that's like a really good thing, right? Like, if God really is for us and that nothing can stand against us, right? I mean, we're talking about some serious game-changing and life-changing things. Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was there for the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was there by himself because he had sent his disciples to go on up ahead of him, and, and John says that he went not publicly but in secret. Now, I kind of picture Jesus, you know, for several days walking the city of Jerusalem, you know, wearing the hoodie, you know, so no one can recognize him, and, and he's checking things out, he, he's watching, he's observing, and while he's doing that, the crowds are, they're wondering, hey, is this guy Jesus, this, this guy who had caused such a stir with his miracles and, and his teaching, is he going to show up? So you have Jesus, is incognito in his, in his hoodie, and, and then you have the people wondering, hey, is Jesus going to show up? Thousands, tens of thousands of people have flooded into the city for the Feast of Tabernacles. And John says this in John 7, verse 37. Jesus took his hoodie off. (laughs) On the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice. And it's important for us to point out that on this, the last and most important day of this week-long feast, what was going on and what happened on the last day, the, the, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam, he would, he would draw water from that pool. He would go back to the temple with, with that pitcher of water, and, 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 then, and then he would pour out that water. And, you know, and water to them and that dry and barren land, water represented life. You know, uh, and, and, and it also represented the hopes that they had for the Messiah and for the kingdom he would establish. And, and as the priest, you know, he, he, he grabbed the water, now he's pouring out this water, and the water means life, and water means someday the Messiah is going to come, and we're believing that he is. And as they're pouring that water out, they would read scriptures. And one of the scriptures that they read was Ezekiel chapter 47. And in this chapter, God gives the prophet a, 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 a vision of the temple, and, and flowing outside the temple doors is this stream, and, and this stream begins to get larger and larger and deeper and deeper. First it's up to his ankles and, and, and then it's up to his knees. And before long, uh, uh, this is becoming a river and, and this river, now it gets up to his waist and before long it's so deep he can't even stand and he's just kind of swimming in it. And then we read this in Ezekiel 47 at verse 7. He, he led me along the riverbank and I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. River's life. Then he said to me that this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the, of the what? Of the Dead Sea. And the, it was called the Dead Sea because it was what? It was dead, right? It was dead. Not much lives in the Dead Sea even to this day. Uh, the waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. This river is flowing. It's river of life. And there will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow. You're picturing this. Fruit trees. This is life popping up everywhere. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. Uh, The leaves of these trees, they'll never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop Every month, you know, not, not just a harvest once or twice a year, but every month there's a new harvest on these trees, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. 
The fruit will be food, and the leaves will be for healing. Now, now back to John chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the priests pouring out the water, uh, the people wondering, is this guy Jesus going to show up? Is he going to show up? Um, and then we read, on the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out from that person's heart, as the scripture says. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been raised to glory, but later those who believed in Jesus will receive the Spirit. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that, that, that the time is coming, and for us that time has come, that, that time is here, that time is now, a time when the Holy Spirit, this great river of life, would come to live inside of God's people because God's people are now what? We are now the temple of God. And this river of life will flow into people and it will allow them to live the life that they were always created to live. And that's good news. But listen, it gets even better because this river of life not only flows into us, but it also flows out from us. out into a, a world that's dark and hopeless and barren. And everywhere this river flows, life will abound and flourish. Things that are dead will be made alive. You see, Maple Grove, God longs to do a work inside of us, but not just that. He, he, he longs to do a work inside of us that begins to flow out from us by the power and through the power of his spirit. Get it? Good. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Paul grabbed a, a pen and paper and he, he wrote these words to the church in Galatia. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. You don't need the law, right? We don't need rules now because we're, we're living the way we're supposed to live because of this river. And, and I want you guys to read this, that, this verse, that verse with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I, I, I mean, I, imagine, imagine. Imagine your life, your home, your marriage, your relationships, this church, our, our world, uh, this community. It, it, imagine if the dominant characteristics of our life, uh, imagine if, if the river... If the river that flowed out of us as God's people was a river of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Good question. Do, 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 you, do you think things would look better? Do you think things would be better? I mean, do you, do you think that a river like that, a, a, a river of, of love and joy and peace, you think a river like that would cause life to flourish wherever it flowed? I mean, do you think a river like that flowing in your home would change your home? Would, would it change your marriage? Would it change this church? Would it change where you work? Would it change where you go to school? Uh, this river flowing like that, causing things that were once dead to come back to life. Again, I have no doubt that Everyone in this room wants the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in their lives, wants this river flowing in them and out from them. 
And I also have no doubt that for a lot of us, if not most of us, we've not seen all that much fruit in our own lives or in the lives of those around us. And Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You see, if we're a Jesus follower, the, the fruit of the Spirit is to be evident in our lives and flowing from our lives. And the good news is that, that as a Jesus follower, you know, we have the Holy Spirit in us, it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us to do just that. See, the Holy Spirit is in me as a Jesus follower, and the Holy Spirit wants to produce that fruit, wants to produce that river that will flow out of me into this world. And, and, and my job is to figure out, hey, how do I cooperate with the Spirit, right? How do, I, how do I align my life? How do I align my thoughts so that I get into the flow with the Spirit so that I can become everything that God wants me to be? How do I cooperate with the Spirit? It's kind of like if, if you're on a sailboat on the lake, right? You know, you, know, you don't create the wind, right? you got to raise the sails, right? And then the wind's going to take you where you need to go. Well, how do we raise the sails? How do we live? And, and we said a few weeks back that one of the things that we need to do to have this fruit, to have this river flowing in us, uh, really up top is we got to pull some weeds, right? we got to pull weeds. Because the, the truth is, we cannot grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives unless we pull up the weeds of the sinful nature, right? You can't grow a garden with a bunch of weeds in it. Question, have you been pulling up any weeds uh, the last few weeks? Have you been pulling up any weeds? Because it's counterproductive to say, God, I want your fruit all the while while we're watering the weeds of, of anger, of uh, immorality, of divisiveness and bitterness, right? It just doesn't work that way. Have you been pulling up any weeds? Ask the person to your right and to your left, been pulling any weeds? Got to pull some weeds, right? It's on going, right? The suckers just pop up all the time, right? You look, oh, there's some more. Can I get them? Okay. Uh, we need some spiritual roundup, right? Spray that sucker. Okay. And, and two weeks back, we began looking at some of the specific aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about love when it is undeserved. And remember, God grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives many times by placing us in a place where we are tempted to respond in the exact opposite way, Right? And it's pretty hard to love when it's undeserved. It's easy to love people who like us, who love us, and we like and love them. But when someone's hurt you, betrayed you, you know, done things to somebody, it's hard to love somebody when it's undeserved, yet we're called to do that. And how do we do that? This is just a real, real quick review, right? We said three things we got to do if we're going to love someone when it's undeserved. First, we have to do what? Embrace the 419 principle. 1 John 419 says we love because God what? First loved us. We, we got to let God love us, right? I had a... I had a that picture with the sponge up here, and I had a dry sponge, and say, it's pretty hard. You wring out love, and it's just not working. But if you immerse yourself in the love that God has for you, his unconditional, unfailing love for you, you immerse yourself in that. You pull that sucker out, man, it's just dripping, right? You got to immerse yourself in God's love. You have no idea how much God loves you. Man, if you, and you, and you, and you, and I could just see you know, see God's heart and see how much he loves us, how much, he mean, how much we mean to him, it, it, it would change how we live. And, and, and after we embrace that principle, we got to start pulling some weeds, you know. I, I want to love somebody. Well, i got to pull that weed of anger, that weed of bitterness, that weed of selfishness. And, and then we need to begin planting seeds, and we do that by, by thinking loving thoughts and doing loving things, even when, and especially when, we do not feel like it. 
All right? That's how it works. And today we're going to talk about the fruit of joy in a conversation I'm calling Joy When There's No Reason. Picture the scene. It's the year is about 62 AD. The apostle Paul is in a dark, damp, smelly prison cell, sitting on a dirty floor. He's, he's chained to a prison guard. His, uh, he has no freedom. His food is bad and full of maggots. His, his bathroom, you know, is a bucket. He has limited visitation. His health is failing. The things are not going that well for the Apostle Paul. Yet, yet, yet one day, as the, the guard who was chained to him looked over Paul's shoulders to see what Paul was writing, and Paul was writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and the jailer was shocked to see these words from a guy sitting in a prison cell, pooping in a bucket. Rejoice in the Lord always. I shouldn't have said that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Purge your mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let me ask you, if that, if that was you, would those be the words that would come out of your mouth? I mean, would you get your phone, do an Instagram picture of that bucket, and say, rejoice and alert always? You know, is, is that, is that, what, would you find it easy to rejoice in that setting? Some of you are thinking, in all truthfulness, I, I couldn't be joyful in those circumstances. I mean, today I've already complained about the weather. I've complained about not being able to find that one shoe. I've complained about that someone drank the last part of the milk and I put my cereal in the bowl it's there waiting for milk and there's no milk you know I, I complain about I really didn't like the songs that we sang today no joy is not at the top of my list this morning question how is it that someone with much worse circumstances than ours can still rejoice while we complain about first world problems is Paul faking it or is his joy genuine genuine rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice again from an earthly perspective Paul should have been the last person on earth to have joy. And yet Paul writes these words from a prison cell. And, and, and to me, you know, I, I, I see the book of Philippians, you know, if I was given a title, I would, I would call it a, a, a prisoner's handbook for joy. It's like, hey, you want to know how to have joy in different circumstances? Paul says, let me give you this handbook. And so I say, what, 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 what better person for us to look at than Paul when we want to talk about joy when there's no reason? Because I get it, joy can be very elusive at times. If we're not careful, our joyfulness can be tied to what happens, the things happening around us and to us. But here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that joy is a decision that you and I make each day when we wake up. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice when everything's going perfectly. No, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Just stay right here. I'll rejoice in it. At the age of 17... Um, a careless dive into shallow water left Johnny Erickson Tata a quadriplegic. And check out what she wrote in Decision Magazine. Honesty is always the best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. Got that? Ever been in a women's conference? Well, guys, you haven't been, but <laughs> bathroom's much different when guys crowd in there, okay? Um, one woman putting on lipstick said, oh, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Several women nodded. How do you do it, she asked, as she capped her lipstick. I don't do it, I said. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? This is an average day for me. And then she took a deep breath. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm all alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me in my chair, brush my hair, and brush my teeth, 
and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day. But Lord, you do. May I have yours? God, I need you desperately. One of the ladies asked, so what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? I turn my head toward her and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. And so I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was one, was hard won this morning. But whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. And again, let me reiterate, we can't live a life of joy on our own. Understand, in the flesh, in our own power, we will never have that day-in, day-out joy that God calls us to have. We need supernatural intervention. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's his job. He comes in and gives us the power to do what we can't do on our own. Weed pulling and fruit growing is all by the Spirit. However, we have to make a conscious decision to choose joy. We have to flip the switch to connect our lives to the power source of the Holy Spirit that is already available to us. Get it? Good. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And I know that for some in this room, joy is the last thing on your mind. It's the furthest thing from your heart. I mean, there's some serious... Not very good stuff going on in your life right now. I understand when, you're, when your marriage is struggling, uh, when you just went through a separation or divorce, when the, when the doctor's report was not what you wanted, when, you're, when your finances are, are tanking, when your kids are walking down a path that you know will lead to hurt, pain, and destruction, when, when, uh, when tough circumstances and difficult people keep pounding you and pounding you and pounding you like ocean waves crashing against a jagged shoreline, joy can be difficult to find. It must be hard won every day, every single day. Get it? But listen, if we fight for it, if we fight for it, we're going to find that we have holding in our hands a joy that is so deep and so strong that is beyond the reach of any trial, any situation, any difficulty, circumstance, happening, or person. And listen, 2,000 years ago in a prison cell, a, a guy named Paul penned some of the most practical and, and, and powerful words ever written about having joy when there is no reason. And, and listen, just like love when it's undeserved really grows the fruit of, of joy, of, of love, you know, to have joy when there's no reason really grows this fruit, right? And we're going to be joyful when things are tanking. That's some real joy. So, so I want you to imagine that you're sitting across the table at a coffee shop with the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he, he bought you your favorite drink, right? You know, a, a mocha frap. Right, you know, bente mocha frat with with a quad with a quad shot, right, man, and heavy on the whipped cream, right. You're just and and, and you're telling Paul about where you're at and you, how difficult it is, and you're just saying, Paul, you know, with all this going on, Paul, there's no way, there's no way with what I'm going through, Paul, there, there's no way that I can find any joy in this. No way, Paul. I, I want to, but I can't. Is it even possible? Paul would say, you know what? It's not only possible, it's probable with God's help. Pray with me. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your power. 
And God, we know life is hard, and some folks in this room, man, it's, it's, it's tough. It's difficult. There's not a whole lot of earthly reasons to have joy, uh, but yet you call us to, God. And I gotta just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, that, uh, that we would have a, a joy inside of us that's not tied to circumstances, that's anchored to you and your truth, and that that joy will well up from us and flow out into this world, God, who needs joy so much. And God, just help me to, to say what you want me to say in the way that you say it. Want me to say it. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and that day, 2,000 years ago, Paul, on the, on the napkin, I have that original napkin um, from Paul, and, and, and he's writing on the napkin. You're saying, I don't know how to do it, Paul. And he goes, well, he grabs his pen. Well, let me tell you how to do it. He grabs the napkin, and it's got a little egg stain at the bottom, maybe. You know? and, and he says, okay, if you want to have joy when there's no reason, you have to keep an eternal perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, Paul, a guy chained to a guard in a prison cell, he, he, he says that one of the keys to have joy when, when there is no reason is because the Lord is near. And, and listen, when Paul says that the Lord is near, he's not talking about proximity. You know, the Lord is near. He, he's talking about eternity. Now, understand, when life, as it often does, gets pretty dark and desperate and crap, crappy, <laughs> you know, at the five-foot level, right, in the here and now, we need to turn our attention to eternity, Paul says that the Lord is near. Remember that old song, this world is not my home. I'm just what? I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, the joyful person knows that things will never be perfect until the Lord returns. However, knowing that, that this day is, knowing that the Lord is near, that, that his coming is near, that the day will happen, it, it realigns their perspective and fills them with joy. And Paul talked about this all over in his writings. He talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where, he, where Paul's talking about, man, it, I've had a hard time. I've been hard-pressed. I've been crushed. It's been really difficult. I, I wanted to quit. I couldn't hang in there without God's help. And then he says this, we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are what? Small. He has some serious stuff. This guy's in prison. And won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the trouble we can see now. Rather, we, we don't look at the trouble we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, it will soon be gone. It's not going to be here five billion years from now. But the things we cannot see will last forever. In Romans 8, 18, Paul said this. I love this one. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Jesus said this to the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says, do not be afraid of, of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for what? For 10 days. In other words, it's, yeah, it's a period of time, but it's not like a really, really long time, but yet it's 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. You see, having an eternal perspective is critical to developing and growing the fruit of joy in our lives when there's no reason. 
Uh, yesterday afternoon, I, I was working, trying to get my message finished. I, I was at a conference, and it, so I had my message needed a lot of work. And about 2 o'clock, I heated up a microwave dinner, took the great opportunity to log on to NFL.com and watch four minutes of the highlights from Super Bowl 49. And, and uh, oh, yeah. And, and I got to tell you, I, I had an eternal perspective. You see, I knew how things would turn out, and I didn't stress like I stressed when I actually watched it on Sunday night. Like this play right here on Sunday night, oh my gosh, I was freaking out. It was like, are you kidding me? Not again, not again, not three years. That crazy catch, it's over. I can't believe it. Leela's starting to clap, and I said, Leela, you need to leave. You cannot stay here right now. It was awful. You know, it was awful. I didn't know. I'm thinking, it's done. I got a minute, six seconds. I got, yeah, they, 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 got, they got the beast mode. It's done. I didn't know about what was about to happen. Check out this picture. Woo! Oh, my gosh. It was so awesome. I, I couldn't believe it, right? I got to tell you, Sunday night, I was stressing. I didn't know the end, you know? But knowing the end changed everything. And guess what? We know the end. We know the end. God, God's not going to win. God's already won. And having that eternal perspective enables us to handle things differently. Amen? Next, Paul says, Paul says, looks at us like, get it? We go, Paul says, good. And, and, the, 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 and Paul grabs his napkin and he says, okay, you want to have a joy when there seems to be no reason? You also need to pray and be thankful. Don't worry and be anxious. And listen, I can tell you from personal experience that nothing can suck the joy out of you quicker than worry and anxiety. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you're doing okay, right? Life is going pretty good. You're pretty positive about life. And then sometimes out of nowhere, an anxious thought slaps you in the face, punches you in the gut. Next thing you know, you're on the ground in the fetal position sucking your thumb, right? Do you ever struggle with worry? Do you know what worry's favorite question is to ask us? What if? Have you ever had a what if drain out your joy? What if I don't have the money to pay that bill? What if I don't get into the school that I want? What if, what if I don't recover from this health issue? What if I don't get that promotion? In a book, book I'm reading, the author suggests that when, when the enemy hits us with this what-if question that can just totally freak us out, he suggests, go with it. Go with it. And just ride that what-if question right down to the nasty, stinky bottom. What if the worst possible thing happens? What if my spouse does not get well, but instead dies? But what if I lose my job? And then he says, that's the, that, then he has two statements. Two 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 word statements. He said that would. That would be the most difficult time of my life. That would really stink. That would be awful. That would be difficult. And then the next two words are, God will. Uh, what if the worst happens? That would stink. But God will be there at the bottom with you to help you figure things out. Amen. Amen. So so ride that. What if? Yeah, it would be bad. It would be terrible if you lost your job and couldn't pay your mortgage. That'd be awful. But guess what? When you get to the bottom, who's there? God's there to help you figure things out. And so Paul, Paul looks at you across the table, and he says, therefore, do not be anxious about 
anything. Yeah, that one too. And there's no like reserved spot. Okay, I'm doing pretty good. But this one here, I feel it's okay to be anxious about. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, knowing, wow, knowing that God cares, knowing that God is listening, knowing that you actually have the ear of the creator and maker of heaven and earth, the one for whom all things are possible, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. God, God, I need your help. God, I'm, I'm tanking. I'm overwhelmed. I can't make it. And the peace of God, which trends all understanding, transcends all understanding, will guard. That's a strong military term, kind of like the Navy SEALs. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To have joy when there's no reason that we need to, we need to keep an eternal perspective. Uh, we, need to, we need to pray and be thankful rather than worry and be anxious. And we need to dwell on the positive instead of the negative. How, how, how is your thought life doing? Which do you tend to dwell more on, the negative or the positive? Scripture says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your what? By your what? By your what? You know I need love, right? You know I need participation, right? I know you're all listening. I just need that beautiful feedback you always give. This is the best audience, congregation, sermon audience I've ever had in my entire life. You guys are absolutely amazing. You're so engaged right now. It's incredible. I am blown away. I, hold on. I've got a tear in my corner of my eye. From studying the brain, scientists have found that repeated thoughts actually create physical grooves in the brain. Uh, when you practice a skill, learn a sport, or study facts, a little trench is carved into our brain tissue. That is why it's so hard to break a habit, because it is a physical thing. There's a, there's, a, there's a groove there, so we have to make a new brain groove in order to break a habit. Um, tell the person sitting next to you they need a new groove. Say, so you need a new groove. Now tell them the emperor's got a new groove. <laughs> that was a good movie. That's a funny movie. I don't care who you are. Okay, and, and so as you sit across the table with Paul at, 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 the, at the Starbucks, and, and, and Paul, you, you look at what Paul wrote, and then Paul says, says you know, dwell on the, the positive, not the negative. And Paul says, let, let me give you some guidelines. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What thoughts are you thinking? I understand dwelling on the negative will drain your joy in a hurry. And what are you thinking? You know, I got to tell you, like if I ever, I don't do it anymore, if I ever listen to like Glenn Beck on the radio, in an hour I want to commit suicide, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to drive my car into the tree because it's all over, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to listen to you. He's a great guy, not against him, but wow, dude, the negative is just, I can't take it. You know, maybe there's some negative people. You just can't be around them so much, right? They're just like, they're just so negative. They just drag you down. Dwell in the positive. I got to tell you, there's no better place to dwell in the positive than right here. There's some really positive things in this book that can create a new, a new groove in your mind. Uh, this morning, I, you know, I, 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 I woke up, obviously. <laughs> I'm standing here. And, and uh, I, was, I was hanging out with God, and, and, and as always on Sundays, Sundays, you know, I, I have all kinds of uh, psychological disorders, you know, like, you know, you got nothing worth saying, you know, why are you doing this? Nothing you say ever matters, and I'm just used to that. I, okay, I just know that's your lie. Let me turn up, you know, the volume of God, but that's just my Sunday routine. If people got in my head, they'd probably be really terrified. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but I wrote in my journal, and, and, and some things God said this morning, 
you know, I was reading Isaiah 41. He kind of led me to that. And, and, and here's what God said to me to, to create a new groove he, in, in my brain. He says, you are my servant, for I've chosen you. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Then he said, I, I will strengthen you and help you. I, I will hold you with my victorious right hand. And, and, and then over here, uh, uh, he didn't say Steve in the Bible, but I put Steve here. Uh, Steve, don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. Though you are a lowly worm. And God's not saying, yeah, it's like, cool, I'm a worm. (laughs) I think what he's saying is that even if you don't think you deserve it, you don't think you deserve my help, you keep messing up, you keep doing stupid things, you think you're a worm. Even though you're you're a lowly worm, right? Okay, if that's what you want to call yourself, let's go with it, God says. Even though you're a lowly worm, don't be afraid, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. And I'll tell you what. God's word is a perfect way to dwell on positive thoughts. Amen? If you want to have a joy when there's no reason, you also need to rely on Christ in all circumstances. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Might that be a good book right there, right? You know, in Barnes and Nobles, right there. Here's a secret, any situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or one. What's the secret, Paul? It's a short book. <laughs> I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What Paul's trying to teach us is that regardless of whether we win or lose, or we're rich or poor, whether we're famous or not famous, we can find joy. And yeah, I know what Paul's saying is very counterculture and counterintuitive. I mean, Paul, are you saying that, that I can and, and that I need to be joyful in the hospital waiting room, that, that I need to be joyful in the unemployment line, uh, that, that, that I can and need to be joyful in my struggling marriage, that I can and need to be joyful as I stand by the graveside uh, of, of a loved one who has left? How in the world, Paul, is that possible? Paul, how in the world can I do that? Paul, I don't have the strength. And Paul would say, you know what Paul would say to you? He, he would say, there's no way in the world that you can do that. But in Christ... You can do everything through him who gives you strength. You see, we were, not, we were not meant and intended to go through stuff on our own. On August the 4th, 1996, I stood in front of the church I was leading in East Tampa a week after my, my wife died of cancer, and I preached a message called Victor or Victim. It's our choice. And a little later that that week in August of 1996, I wrote this in, in my journal, and I actually have the journal. It's, I had like an oil thing in my car. It's, it's kind of been abused over the years. It's like in my trunk and got some oil stains on it. But here's, here's what I wrote. It's a little after 6 a.m. I've been up an hour, and I've spent the last half hour on the porch talking with you, Lord, and reflecting on my present, past, and future life. I often go through what transpired, wondering what could have been done differently, only to realize that the entire situation was in your hands. From what I prayed on Thursday, heal Judy completely, but if she's going to continue to suffer, take her home this Sunday. It's apparent since she took her home on Sunday that Judy was never going to be healed in this life and only had more suffering to go through if she stayed. Lord, to say I don't like this is an understatement. I wish things were different, but they're not. I feel so hopeless. I feel so helpless. Lord, help me to consider all of this pure joy. Help this to make and not break my faith. Help me to focus on your kingdom and truly trust you to take care of me and all my needs. Help this to make John and Chelsea's faith. They were 12 and 9 at the time as well. Thank you, Lord, and please be with us. 
We need you. Maple Grove, 18 years ago, I leaned hard into God. I relied on God. And guess what? He showed up. He helped me. He held me. He stood me up. And he has poured out more blessings and more joy into my life than I could even imagine. I, I could spend all day talking about how much God has blessed me since that day. But I can just say four names that are in my life now that weren't then. I can say my incredible wife, Laurie. I can say my incredible daughter, Leela. And I can say Maylee, who we adopted, and Gentile. They weren't in my life then. They are now. In hard times, rely, lean hard on God, and he will support you. Next, Paul will look at you from across the table, and he would say, okay, and Paul liked review like I did. Paul, make sure, are you tracking with me? Paul says, are you tracking he says, you know, you got to keep an eternal perspective about things. Now, one way I like to illustrate that is with these, you know, these, these binoculars, right? Like, yeah, they, they make, like some, like, some of you guys' heads just got super large right now. Whoa! It's pretty scary, right? And sometimes that's how we look at our problems, right? They seem so big. But God says, we need to flip the lens. When I flip the lens, man, your heads are so little. Boom, I squashed one there. Goodbye, all that. Boom, he's gone. It's like, you know. You know, when you flip the lens, right, you're like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. In the scope of eternity, it's not a big a deal. God, to you, somebody say, hey, God, just flip the lens. You know, it's not, the problem's not as big as you think it is. The Paul says, you know what, you know, pray and be thankful. Don't, don't always worry, be anxious. Dwell on the positive, rely on Christ. And then Paul, I think, would say, get over yourself and help someone else. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Wow, what did he give them? They get like a, a new building, you know, as, as the church just really grew there. You know, what's going on? What, what, what kind of stuff did they get? What kind of grace? Um, in the midst of severe trials, that don't sound like grace, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us out of their poverty, out of their severe trial for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. You see these people, yeah, extreme poverty, a severe trial, but they said, you know what, we're not going to have a woe is me pity party, we're not going to wallow in our situation, we're going to get off our rear ends, and we're going to go out, and we're going to help somebody else. That is a result of joy, and that results in joy. It, it still works to this day. You know, well, we have a lady who's doing that right now in her church, her, her name is Gail, she's, she's running the twos ministry, and uh, this past week, someone, you know, she did those training classes last week, and, you know, it's a ministry to the nursing homes that we're launching, and people say, wow, she, she's just so joyful and bubbly, and, and I asked her to write something up for me last night, and she did a great job. Uh, 2014 was a year I was happy to see the back end of. <laughs> In July, I was abruptly dismissed from a job I poured heart and soul into for over five years. Staff I had mentored for years were suddenly terrified to talk to me. They were given untrue accounts of things I'd said and done, resulting in the end of friendships I cherished. A false report was filed against me with my state regulatory board. This meant I could not work in the field pending a full investigation. The state agency has until July 2015 to complete that process. In November, I learned I needed to move out of the house I had rented for 12 years and where my daughters grew up. Finding a lease when you don't have a job is awkward on a good day. My prudent reserve has been tapped out, pulled out, stretched out, and flopped out. Yes, 2015 went down in the books as a year I could gladly have skipped over. Lucky for me, I'm a firm believer in Romans 8, 28. 2,000 years ago, God made a promise 
that if I loved him and was called according to his purpose, not my own, all things would work together for good. He didn't say a lot of things. He didn't say most things. He said all things. So I had to trust somehow, someday, all the heartache was going to work for my good, but what do I do in the meantime? That same July, I was released. I, I came across a story about Tanya, a special education teacher in Michigan. Exactly 30 days earlier, Tanya's 10-year-old daughter was out riding the family's golf cart as she had done a dozen times before. Somehow, the golf cart turned over, pinning the child underneath and crushing her to death. I read the story and thought of how Tanya must have been hurting. My sorrow suddenly shrank in comparison. I reached out to Tanya that day with a note of sympathy and encouragement. In that moment, I found a new friend. In the weeks and months that followed, I never had to look for, I never had to look far to find someone hurting in ways that made my troubles appear small. I found that the fastest way to relieve my fear and sadness was to do something for someone in much worse shape than I was. My troubles are few and temporary. My blessings are endless and eternal. The world is rift with suffering. God has used this season of unemployment for me to study and dream and plan for ways to help those whose dreams, whose, those whose troubles are overwhelming. He has and will continue to use my struggles to deepen my compassion and grow my faith. As long as I help others in his name and remain grateful for his blessings, I know with all my heart that the words of the old hymn ring true. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You know, if I could be blunt and in your face, and I don't know what your face is going through, right? You know, some of you guys would say, get over yourself. Yeah, I know you're hurting, but there's other people hurting too. You just suffered a loss in your family. Well, so did somebody else. Why don't you minister to them? You're a single mom who's struggling. How about helping that single mom? Your marriage is hurting. Well, so is their marriage. You know, get over yourself and help somebody else. And I guarantee you, it will result in joy when there's no reason. Amen. Finally, uh, we can have joy when there's no reason because we know that every problem has a what? Has a purpose. Has a purpose. And one of those purposes is to grow us, to grow us. Familiar passages, I'll be hitting these quick. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know something, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, see, every, every problem has a purpose. One purpose is to grow us, to make us more mature, to make us more complete, to make us a more usable vessel for, for Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, years ago, God, God, sitting at a McDonald's outside a VA office, you know, uh, uh, God gave me a little phrase that I've used ever since that day. This is, I don't know how many years ago, you know, and God just said, Steve, you don't just have to go through it. You can grow through it. Right? You're going to go through it. Sorry. I wish I could beam you to heaven right now, but guess what? You're going to go through that struggle in your marriage. You're going to go through that financial crisis. You're going to go through these hard times. And it's your choice and mine whether we're going to grow through these hard times. Amen? Paul said this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Paul, you're a nut. But we know that they help us develop endurance. And this word endurance means the ability to, to handle pressure, uh, uh, to stand up under pressure, to not quit. And, and in, endurance develops strength of character. And this word character is only used seven times in, in Scripture, and it means proven reliable, you know, trustworthy, integrity. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
kind of weird that problems give us hope, but it gives us hope because we realize our hope is not in us, our hope is not in this world, our hope is in Christ, and so it increases our hope. But, but not only do problems you know, uh, grow us, they also glow us. Glow us. I, I, I've always loved this verse right here. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that is what has happened to me. Beaten, falsely accused, in a jail cell, eating food with maggots in it, chained up to a guard. I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually done what? Has served to advance the gospel. You see that there was a river of life in Paul. You know, and when he's in a situation like, man, how could someone have, right? I mean, when you're happy, and we should celebrate good things in life, right? Got a new job, got a promotion, got in that school. You know, that doesn't necessarily build somebody's faith, right? But when people see you going through a hard time, and when it doesn't make sense, and you have joy, man, you know, it, it strengthens the believers. Like, man, maybe God really is that solid rock. Maybe it's not just a song we sing. Maybe he really is a solid rock that I can stand on that I can trust in, a refuge that I can run to. And I know one thing it also, see, to me it's always been that, that when you go through hard times that you are in the center ring. Right? All eyes are on you. And you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity that difficulty to say, you know what, yeah, it stinks. I don't like it. It's not, the, it's not the most fun thing I did. But you know what? God is good. God is great. God is with me. And God will help me get through this. And in him, I find strength. And in him, I find hope. And in him is my joy. And I tell you what, it leads people to Christ. You know, there's two years that, that as Judy struggled with her cancer, I can't tell you how many people came to faith, come with me in service and just say, hey, I want what she has. How can she be happy weighing 85 pounds wearing a do-rag and, and struggling with cancer? How can she have so much joy? Well, there's a reason she does. It's called Jesus. You've guys seen people do the same thing. It glows us. And the world, it's this river. It's this river. Man, our world only has joy if things are going okay, right? And, and God wants to create this river in us that, that flows out from us in, into this world, and it changes the world as we love when it's undeserved, as we have joy when there's no reason. It touches this dark world, and things that were once dead will come back to life, and, and trees will grow along, and it'll just be an incredible place. That's what God has called the church. It's this river. And Paul's like, you know what? Your coffee's done. My coffee's done. And, and, and Paul likes to review like I, like I like to review. And so Paul just says, hey, but uh, I know you need to go. That's okay, but let's wrap this puppy up. And, and Paul says, hey, do you want joy when there's no reason? Well, you need to keep an eternal perspective. You need to pray and be thankful. Don't worry and be anxious. You need to dwell on the positive and not the negative. You need to rely on Christ. He's there to be your crutch. He's there to hold you, to be your rock. You need to get over yourself and help somebody else out. Get up, cancel your pity party. You know, you know, call back those invitations and say, I'm going to help somebody else. And then you need to know that it has a purpose, that through what you're going through, God can grow you, and God can glow you, and God will get all the glory forever and ever. You know, I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, what struggles you have, what difficulties. You probably have some, right? This life, it can be hard, man. I got to be honest. I've been struggling with stuff. I've been dwelling on a lot of negative thoughts that have been freaking me out big time, like, like, like an idiot, right? You know? uh, uh, we, we struggle. But I, but I know that, that there's a God who is the author and perfecter of your faith, who created you in his image 
and he wants to put stuff in you. He wants to put fruit in you. He wants to create this river in you that flows out of you into this world so that he gets all the honor and all the glory. And if you're here today and you don't have that power, you don't have that power source, you know, I want to invite you to humbly confess your sin, confess his name, and to be baptized into his name. Because scripture says, right, in Acts 2.38, repent to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, I wouldn't give you that opportunity. Come up at the end of service, talk to me later. Man, there's no reason to leave without that power source. Maple Grove, we believe we just do things the Bible way, right? The Bible's our authority and we just kind of try to do what it says, you know, and, and obey what it says. If you're here and you're struggling, this is a time for you. If you need prayer, come up here. We're about to sing a song. It's a really great song. You know, it's called Nothing is Wasted. You know, again, we don't have to just go through it. We can grow through it, and we can glow through it, and God can use it for his honor and his glory. Our God is so good. He is so great, and he wants to create this river in this church. And, I, and you know what? Right now, he's, he's creating a river here. You know, and I don't, I don't know if it's up to our ankles yet, you know, but this river is going to grow. And it's going to grow. And we're going to flow out into this communion world. And we're going to make a difference through the power of his spirit. Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. We worship you. And God, I pray right now you be with us as we sing this song, God. And, and God, no matter where we are, God, I pray you enable us to, to throw everything out of our minds right now. What we got to do when we're leaving. What time the service is over. Did we go too long? Just throw out all the junk. And just worship you right now. And to know, God, that, that, that you know us, you know our ups and downs, and you love us, and you want to work in us, and you're here, God, and that nothing has to be wasted, Lord, and that you're faithful, and that you work all things out for good. God, I just pray right now we just worship you, and it's just us and you right now celebrating who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.